0: I'm Tony Wood from CEO Collaborative Forum and let's hear CEOs reflect on sustainability. Today's guest is Deep. Hi Deep. Hi Tony. Um, Deep has been working in the ESG space for the past several years and has served as strategic advisor to some of the senior management teams of the world's largest top companies across industries such as fashion, consumer products, beverages and packaging. His work focuses on embedding sustainability principles into the DNA of companies, so they're not just talking about sustainability, but in fact living it. My goodness, deep. So how? That's um. That's some title. That's some intro. Thank <laughs> you for that. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the podcast here, Tim. Cool. Excellent. So, I mean, we'll get straight into some of the questions. So. One of, one of the challenges is, what does it actually mean for a company to be sustainable?
1: Yeah, so that's, that's great. Uh, it's, and it's a, it's a multidimensional answer, right? So sustainability, I think the first thing is to realize that it's not a destination, but in fact a journey. And right. once, you, once you get that and once you sort of wrap your, your head around that, then it becomes uh, much easier to understand the rest of it so essentially sustainability is you know it's been defined you know across the board at the un and other other governing agencies which which basically say that uh, you know sustainability is about trying to uh, do what you can today without compromising uh, the needs of the generation of tomorrow right and so it's it's really about uh, it's it's about business practices it's about governing practices it's about even practices that one has personally, uh, in terms of what you consume, how you consume it, how long you consume it for, you know, all of, uh, it, it considers all of those elements uh, when you talk about sustainability. Now, to be very to, to be very clear, uh, the context in which I'm working on it most these days is from uh, the business environment and the business ecosystem uh, Unit of analysis, as we call it. Uh, so, not really working on the personal side, not really working on the governmental side or the institutional side. It's really more about organizations and what they can do to be more sustainable and to do a better job at running their businesses in alignment with the principles of sustainability.
0: Goodness, and and how do you do that? I mean, is it an on-site thing? Is it remote? Is it teamwork? How how do you? Because it's that's a big old task, isn't it? <laughs> It, it
1: is. It is right, and, and and so if you think about it, we we actually split it up into into four uh, major um, fronts, if you will. Uh, one is you know the front around focus. So actually reflecting on your own business and saying, okay, who are my stakeholders? You know, who is it that's contributing to the company? Who matters to the company, and and who does the company matter to? And it, of course, could be employees, could be you know, it could be clients, could be the community that you're in, uh, or the the, the area or area, the town that your factory is based in, or what have you. Uh, and, and understanding who those are, understanding what is material to you, what is important for your business. Is it you know, are you, in in which ways are you impacting uh, the the climate? In which way you are impacting society? Uh, and in which way the, is society and the environment impacting you. So it's a double materiality as we call it in, in industry chart. Uh, and so we need to look at that and it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a reflective exercise to actually take stock of where you are and what you're doing and who you're doing it to and with and who matters and, and how do they matter, right? So to understand those key parameters. Then the second part that we flow into is sort of more of the foundational element to say, okay, now that I understand who matters to me, how they matter to me, what do I impact? what, How does the world impact me in some ways? Then I can really start thinking about, okay, how is my business configured? Do I have a purpose for my company, right? Um, we had, a, you know, a, a wonderful example of, uh, of a company that, uh, it was a technology firm and uh, their purpose was to make data more profitable but when we dug into it you know what does profit really mean and of course there's the you know there's you have the of uh, uh, the obvious uh definition on the monetary side but the more interesting one was that actually what they really believed which was the you know the profitability they meant that it it enlightens the customer of how to use their data right and so the profit was more of an intellectual prowess rather than a monetary gain and so by tweaking that a little bit and say you know what maybe you mean we make data more impactful could be a better way to state your purpose right? because you're impacting all sorts of things right and so it's it's reflecting on purpose it's about understanding your strategy defining it in some more depth uh, and and configuring your business model around that so those are the the first two steps and then of course you move into what we call, uh, you know, the 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 um, the facts, and the facts are about data, about reporting, about you know making sure you're compliant with whatever regulatory standards, right? And the last part is around function, and the functional domain is to say, okay, reports are nice, but you know the reports are not just for the for the, the the sake of reports. They're in fact to be reused within the company once you see that data and once you see those those manifestations of your activities to actually incorporate them back into your business and say okay what do i do better now right so those are the four key points
0: goodness it sounds like it's a it's a very holistic point of view and as we as we are ceos and leaders um how how would a ceo um make her company more sustainable
1: so again the first thing is about reflection uh, understanding who you impact, how you impact, and, and understanding your own footprint in terms of society and governance and environment. Uh, the next part is really around uh, trying to, to incorporate these things into your business practices and processes. And what do I mean by that? Uh, imagine that you have, uh, you know, you want to make your, 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 your uh, procurement function more sustainable well how does that happen it doesn't happen just because you stated it on a powerpoint in a strategy <laughs> document or no, on it your website it? right yeah. uh, it, it doesn't just automatically diffuse into your organization oh, if, to... if that it would if that yeah. it would yeah we'd all be sustainable by now right so <laughs> uh, so if you if you want that to happen well the procurement manager has to have uh, the right questions being asked to the vendor at the right point in the process um, a dialogue, basically. So when the, when the supply, when the procurement manager calls the vendor, they may have to ask for certain audit documents about labor contracts and, and and price that they pay for certain contractors or laborers or whatever uh, to understand labor conditions, to actually look at all of those things and evaluate all those things. Because if that doesn't happen at that granular level, yeah. you're never going to become sustainable.
0: And and how how would the CEO, how would she handle the situation where the procurement is under a lot of stress, has a lot of, um, you know, has a huge amount of work to do. And then there's this extra work to add this extra information. How would she support that procurement um, team or department?
1: perfect so so this actually you you stated something that's that's super important because it's very important to look at this work not as extra work but is in fact sustainability is how you get the job done it's no different than just living your normal life it's no different than brushing your teeth you're just brushing your teeth with a better toothpaste yeah but you're still brushing your teeth right and so this is the thing is that when you do this type of work it's very important to consider these uh you know having a framework of work which says okay what am i going to stop what am i going to start what am i going to continue right and and so your process has to have no more net weight or activity than it already does today you're just doing it a bit differently you're asking different questions right and if you're asking those different questions Think about what it is that's not relevant to ask anymore, right? And so the list of questions, the number of questions remains the same, but the quality of questions improves dramatically.
0: So, so the, the, how, how in your experience, have you helped companies um, manage that change? Because it's a transformation. It's, it is a transformation project because they're, they're changing the way they work. They've still got to keep the same standards, but they're doing something very slightly different. How... How do you support a company through that change? Because that, that's always quite tricky. It is, it is. And honestly,
1: the answer to this one is is no different than any um, vanilla transformation initiative because oh, cool. it's not about sustainability, it's about the transformation. Sustainability right. is the context, It's the reason why you're transforming, but the, the roadblocks and the road bumps that you hit during transformation remain the same. So, it's about changing people's mindset. It's about changing the culture. It's about having a leadership that owns this. It's about the leadership that is invested in it. You have executive sponsorship, you know, from top to down. You have people who are in charge of it, who know what they're doing, right? So, this is the part that contains a little bit more about the sustainability initiatives. And have the subject matter expertise in that, but really that's more from the design aspect and a little bit in the execution as well. But the, it, it's just like a regular transformation. So if you're familiar with the regular transformation, you can do an ESG transformation with a couple of the right experts, you know that are that are embedded uh, uh, into this as part of the knowledge profile of the transformation
0: oh that's really interesting, so if you've already done a digital transformation, you can use the same team, swap out a couple of subject matter experts, and then then you're there
1: yes you are and oh, and and that's it right. so sustainability is not magical it's just another subject matter it's another context in which you're doing transformation
0: okay and are there any what incentivizes a company to become more sustainable i mean I mean why why would they do it? apart from regulation, etc.? Of course, they want to do that, but I think it's good just to, to to spell it out. Is it generic, or is it something different for each company? So actually, so what
1: we think about is that you know there's a burning platform for companies to actually deliver on their ESG ambitions, and this is this is a it's a fivefold um, situation. Uh, okay. The first, of course, they're receiving pressure from the consumers. Consumers demand, you know, greater transparency around provenance, where's my, uh, you know, where are the tomatoes in my ketchup coming from? Where's the uh, wool in my sweater coming from? So they're demanding more transparency about provenance and they want to, and in fact, on the flip side of that, they're actually willing to pay a little more For this as well which is what we refer to as the premium of sustainability right Um, the second of course is the employees employees are more engaged they're more vocal Uh, there are different generations of employees that are driving companies towards better uh, uh, accountability in terms of equality equity sustainability diversity a lot of these initiatives so that's coming from there Uh, and then of course you know you have the regulators so these are the non-negotiables basically they're rolling out new frameworks across europe Uh, there's there's a there's a more of a focus around governance transparency and reporting um then of course you have the um the the financial markets uh, which are using ESG metrics to guide their decision-making around impact and risk and in, into all of those things. And that's, you already see examples from Dansky Bank in, up in Denmark, you have KBC in Belgium, and you have other banks that are adopting these principles. And then the last one is really the activist shareholders who are becoming more and more of a prominent voice, as you saw in the last few annual general meetings that I believe it was at Shell and ExxonMobil, Uh, they had some activist shareholders that are really causing some 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 disruption uh toward uh, trying to get more sustainability into the boardroom really so these are really the five forces that are incentivizing or driving i should say ceos to make these changes
0: that's really cool because you're you're talking that a lot of the examples you're using are, are of larger companies um But is there, is there a different technique or is there a different bit of secret sauce for smaller companies? Because that they make up the majority. I mean, how, how would, because a lot of our CEOs are are scaling. So they will start off small and they'll go larger, um, or they're already large. So what advice would you give them about how to, how to, to do what they want to do? Perfect. So actually Tony. so this is actually super important because in
1: fact, Something like ninety percent of people are employed in Europe by SMEs, right? By by small okay, sized enterprises. That's so 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 clearly, this is where the bulk of of the <laughs> folks are. And um, what, what <clears throat> there's a couple of things that SMEs need to be uh, uh, knowledgeable about. One is that so if you go back to these five dimensions I talked to you about, right? The, you know, the, 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 the consumers are the same, they're putting pressure. Employees are the same, they're putting pressure, right? So that's fine. Uh, in terms of regulation, a lot of regulation won't hit these mid-sized companies because the companies are not listed or they're not large enough to come under that, that, uh, that type of threshold. However, um, as a matter of fact, pretty much all, all of these small and mid-sized enterprises have customers or clients who are the larger companies. And if larger companies are facing pressure in terms of regulation, you can be sure that they're going to put that pressure down to their suppliers as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? And so they're going to get caught up in this web. So they may as well get ready for this already. And in fact, we have a wonderful example of a, um, of a Korean company, uh, which has a German, um, division and this German division decided to get on board, uh, on the ESG journey before anybody heard about ESG back in 2017 or so and in fact it's done wonders for them because today when they're being asked about you know by the larger companies i.e their clients in the RFPs for all of this data around ESG they have it all and they're one of the only vendors that has it and so they're winning more and more RFPs which then leads to the benefit side of the equation here Tony which says you know what if you have your if you have your ducks in a row in terms of this this information and all of this reflection well it actually gives you a competitive advantage in the marketplace as well so That's that's really really something to consider
0: no i like that and it goes back to your previous point of making embedding it into your business because it's it's i think it's also quite useful for a company to know exactly where everything is coming from for a variety of reasons so it seems that how but how how are you using the term of because you've got a lot of people are producing the information for the report but then what's the difference between a company that produces the information for a report and a company that is sustainable because is there have you noticed a difference between people um i mean we 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 hear the term that companies just producing the information but they're not really living it is there Mm -hmm. is there any difference does it matter
1: Yes, it matters tremendously. In fact, so if we recall the the, the framework I I, uh, I talked about earlier, the the, the focus. Uh, the foundation, the facts and the function. So the facts will generate the reports and all the data models that you need for all of this wonderful reporting work that you'll have right. to do eventually. Uh, the, the last part of it is really the critical part of it. The function part of it is where you take that information that you're generating and you reincorporate it into your processes. So for it's in a very realistic situation. We were speaking to somebody at a pharma company and they were struggling to to make sense out of this reporting and incorporate it back into it. But through processes like integrated business planning or IBP, in some places it's called sales and operations planning as well, SNOP. By incorporating this information back into that integrated business planning process, what you start doing is that you lay out this information on the table, between the functions of sales marketing supply chain and finance right now you're all looking at this, the, the the situation and saying, okay let's take a live example and say okay we're a company that we're working with uh, in the consumer goods industry and they got their forecast wrong right as as we usually do and they say <laughs> let's say the over forecast or undersold, by let's say um, a thousand units, right? Well, that one thousand units of, of of excess product that they produced now has an implication in terms of the emissions that they have spent without without having sold the product, the water that they might have used without selling the product, the cost of energy of this thousand units to be stored in a warehouse, to be transported from the factory to a warehouse, and in terms of the eventual waste that might occur if they're unable to sell it, right? So if the product was seasonal or if it was event-based or whatever, for example, if it was a, you know, a promotion for Mother's Day or Father's Day or something, well, that's not gonna happen for another year. So they're probably going to get rid of that product so the waste the emissions created by the waste so that 1000 products of excess of 1000 units of excess product has implications on all these different esg factors right uh, and now that will come to light at this meeting and at this at this forum for integrated business planning where all the functions are sitting around and so now they're all going to be cognizant of ooh, you know here's the impact of a bad forecast which i never realized until esg was introduced into my equation right so that's how you actually take advantage of this
0: so it's it's having that holistic view and i'm guessing that how do you then embed that into the the actual workings of the business so it isn't something that happens separately so that you can start to leave targets within each and every area how 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 would um, how would the CEO kick that off? I mean, that that sounds like a, a massive project. Is it massive? Is it is it too big? No, to... it's not. And again, as I said, if
1: it's part of your DNA and bloodstream, which right. you know, in order to do that, uh, you have to think about how does a business operate? A business operates right. via its processes, right? The processes are the engine and vehicle that makes the business run. As simple as that. By incorporating ESG principles into the practices and processes that you're running anywhere, Right, so like the example, if you think back to the example of procurement that I gave you, it just become a part of the procurement manager's job. They're not doing okay. anything else, right? This is they're not doing anything over and above the procurement job to be to have to 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 talk about ESG or to embed principles. It's just part of their daily routine. Uh, in a similar way, this process around around integrated business planning, well, it's just becoming part of the knowledge portfolio that's entering this forum of decision making. Right, and so this becomes, uh, you know, as you start introducing this data, and you know, keep in mind, where does data come from? It doesn't appear by magic. Data is created through the processes that report these metrics. So, if you start incorporating ESG metrics into processes, then automatically you have a database of of of, of results and database of information and insights that then the compliance people can use to report on that. The audit committee can use to, to to do an internal audit report on your ESG metrics. And your business is using day-to-day as part of the decision-making criteria. So it is no extra work. It's just replacing the current work that you do. You're just doing it in a different way. For example, electric vehicles. You're not driving any differently. You're just driving another car, another vehicle, except that
0: car happens to be an electric car. You're not changing the process of driving. So, so that's... That's one thing. So would you recommend that larger companies would take their policies and ripple that down into process and procedures? Um, And but then what about smaller companies where more of the work is almost like muscle memory, that maybe they don't have set processes. They haven't got risk registers and things like that. They that is that a product of scale? How would you suggest they they embed this in?
1: So, in fact, in smaller companies, it's even easier because you don't have to change the mindset of like 900 people as I do with companies (laughs) like, you know, Unilever or whoever else. Right. Uh, In fact, I have to change the minds of five people. And what could be effective in terms of this is sort of interactive workshops. And we've done this with a couple of SMEs. We've actually, you know, we've, we've, we've taken them out to the fields and said, you know, here's what it means to be sustainable. Here's what, you know, here's where fertilizer comes from. Here's how you make it. Here's how you plant a potato. Here's how you build a wall. Here's how you build a shack with reeds and hemp and wood and whatever. And all of a sudden they start sort of by, you know, when they touch the mud and the bricks and the whatever, and they make this stuff themselves, they start understanding and internalizing what it actually means to be sustainable. And it actually feels pretty good. We did this with a few SMEs. We've done this with larger companies, like like large fashion retailers as well. But, but this is, the at the end of the day, it has to be tactile, and people have to feel it that. and see it and work it in order to internalize those things. Experiences, people will never forget, and that's how they learn, and that's how they embed it into their culture.
0: Oh, my goodness. I love that. I love that as a philosophy. I almost think that that's something that businesses could use more of in in all their aspects. You make it real for people. You, you let them see it. Um, It sounds like smaller companies are going to have a better, better deal of this than larger companies because they get to actually experience something and remember it rather than it's a changing policy. And then we just do it. How how could then it seems like I thought it was larger companies teaching smaller companies, but it's smaller companies through that experiential, almost organic, holistic approach, teaching larger companies. How how would you ripple that up? so
1: the the rippling up this is this this there's a frontier between small companies and large companies which right. is difficult to bridge and i think that's going to be a challenge honestly i don't have the solution for that yet tony but, Come on. but i'm working on it i can <laughs> promise you that right and so as we go through this i mean you know there's a lot of things in this whole area tony which are still organic uh there's not a whole lot of subject matter that's been published in this space uh, yet uh, we're, we're starting to get there, but it still to okay. be a few years before there's a, you know, some sort of a critical mass of, uh, of knowledge to do a lot of these things. So we're still working on that. At least me personally, I haven't found the right uh, way to attack this yet.
0: Cool. So what what final piece of advice would you give a CEO for her journey um, or the leader in sustainability? What, what, how would you, a pithy bit of advice from Deep?
1: so one one of the things i would say is that really there's a there's a mindset uh issue here um most ceos are approaching uh the 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 notion of sustainability and and esg really as a matter of compliance right it's a it's a it's a fear-based mindset and i think where we want to go is for especially for smes is to really consider uh, sustainability as a reason to have an opportunity based mindset so you need to do a bit of a pivot on your mindset from from fear to opportunity because this can be a wonderful example a wonderful way in which you can actually you know do you can make a change in your business model uh, you can you can pivot your strategy uh, you can change what it is to be a business uh, through this journey of sustainability. And and a few companies have actually done that by, by for example, I, I have a, a, a tea company uh, in the US that I was talking with, and uh, with their chief purpose officer, she mentioned how by embracing sustainability sort of really inside out, uh, they were able to improve lives of the tea farmers in remote geographies like India, in 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 out in South Africa and and, and other places, uh, and through that they created new ways of working with them. In fact, they were able to also create adjacent business streams and revenue okay. streams through embracing those opportunities. Right. So it's not just tea, but they started getting into the spice market as well, which are which is which also very very uh, very similar in terms of the people you're working with. Um, and so those, you know, so so to change from a fear-based mindset to an opportunity-based mindset and embrace it that way, because the benefits and the results are quite tremendous. One, em, you know, employing sustainability initiatives can reduce your operating costs. It can increase your shareholder returns. It can create stronger customer loyalty, and it can create higher employee engagement. And this is not just me talking. These are reports from. You know, people like McKinsey and people like people like Deloitte and, you know, the larger and, of course, people like MSCI, who are embedded in this field. So these are from, you know, the, the people who are talking about this full time uh, have seen all these changes. So it's really something that uh, CEOs need to embrace.
0: Goodness, it sounds like you're on an incredible journey. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're crazy busy. Um, It sounds like this is progressing quite quickly for you. I'd love to have you back in the future um, where if there's any kind of distinctions, discoveries or rediscoveries you've made, um, that you could share with our audience. We'd love to do that. Is, that. is that possible? Thank you very
1: much, Tony. I would love to do that. In fact, I would love to share some some examples of some real case studies that we've done uh, in, in a few months and uh, happy to share that with you.
0: Thank you very much, Deep. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, this is CA Reflex.